Welcome to The Cosmic Connection, presented by Astrology Hub. I'm your host, Amanda Poole-Walsh, founder of Astrology Hub, here with Master Astrologer Rick Merlin-Levine. This is your place to explore the order and beauty of the cosmos and your connection to it all. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. Rick, what do you think about our new intro? I love it. It's wonderful. Um, I'm happy to be here with or without introduction, but with introduction is even better. Yeah, we we um, custom tailored the sound to fit your vibe. So I hope that you're digging that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like it. Great. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. We're so happy you're here today. We are going to be talking about how to how to approach an astrology critic. This question comes up again and again and again. So we wanted to address it here today. And I know before we dive in that Rick had a few announcements that he would like to make. I do. And then I want to say something about the title, but let me do the, okay. the, the two short announcements. Number one, um, as many of you know, I, I, I do a daily column called the Daily Planet Pulse on Instagram and have for a couple of years now. And that site was stolen and hacked. And I've been fighting with Instagram for about well, since the last Mercury retrograde cycle. And I just had to walk away from it. So my old name, Rick Levine Astrologer, is now live again, but it's a brand new account. So if you want to follow my daily writing, it's not really a horoscope. It's kind of more of a daily astrological reflection on what's going on. Um, that's Rick Levine Astrologer on Instagram. Tell your friends, tell your relatives, and follow me. That's number yeah. one. Yeah, let's help Rick build back up his his following there that's right yeah. in, in 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 defiance of of mercury retrograde actually yeah. that's a perfect use of mercury retrograde because i'm going back and digging something back up from the past hopefully um the second thing is that i will be a featured speaker at the conscious life expo which is an annual event in los angeles it's held at the um, LAX Hilton, that's the Hilton at LAX at the airport in LA. And I'm going to be on a panel and doing a number of free lectures and some paid lectures. Um, and um, uh, on the Monday of that, after the actual expo itself on February 7th, the expo is the 4th to the 7th, um, I'll be doing three segments of an all day workshop information is available if you go to consciouslifeexpo.com and dig down it's a huge event there's hundreds or maybe 80 i didn't really count um speakers and if you're in the la area and you're an astrology hubber um please come up and introduce yourself i'd love to meet you mm, awesome rick what are you going to be talking about well, um, I, I, there's actually six separate events that I'm involved in. Um, one is a panel discussion um, with a number of other astrologers, including um, uh, David Palmer, the Leo King. So um, we'll be on that panel together, and that will be fun. That'll be, I think, Saturday um, afternoon or evening. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be doing a talk on why do we, you know, what can we get out of astrology, um, I'll be doing a talk, which is one of my favorite topics, the planets in your pocket, how to use the various planets and pull out Mars when you need it and shove away Saturn when you don't want them around. And then how do you, how do you work with them in real life without 
looking at a horoscope without reading, just understanding that these planets are parts of you and your friends. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be doing um, a, a one of the um, workshop uh, sessions will be on an astrological check-in, where the hell are we time-wise in the big scheme of things. Um, they'll also be doing a showing um, of um, Rick Tarnas's Changing of the Gods. I know that you have Rick on for an interview, which I'm totally excited about because you are my favorite interviewer. And Rick is um, is a long time and favorite uh, interviewee. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but they'll be doing a screening. And then afterwards, there's going to be an astrological panel. I'll be on that to kind of discuss with the audience what all this means and so on. So it's a whole sequence of events. Uh, um, I'll be doing one lecture on astrology and reincarnation, which we've mm. talked about here in mm. previous episodes. Um, but they have me working. I think I'm, I think I'm doing three events on Saturday with them, uh, two on Sunday and three on Monday. Um, and so it's, um, it's, it's an honor to be, uh, one of the featured speakers rather than just one of the 100 or 80 or 73. Like I said, I didn't count. Anyhow, wow. so that's that. Amazing. Uh, I, I mean, uh, worth the trip, L too. L L L L L LA, February 4th through 7th. Yeah. Um, and, and online, they have their complete program. It's a deep program. Um, the, the person who um, puts the program on is excited because this is the first year that they've had a full astrology track all the way through it. It's, you know, it's more uh, been, you know, like um, uh, UFOs and psychic stuff and, and, and lifestyle stuff. And that'll be there. I mean, there are, you know, big names, Daniel Brinkling, George Nori. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge um, event. Um, but um, I'm very, very proud to be their lead astrologer on their first time of an astrology track. So if you're in the LA area, February 4th through the 7th, um, tell them I sent you. It probably yes. won't. It probably won't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, I was saying it'd be worth a trip. Even if you're, you're close and you can get to LA, it sounds like it'd yeah. be an amazing event to go to. Yeah. So, and then you wanted to, to say something about the, the title, how title. to approach an astrology critic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that um, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think the real um, the real topic, although <laughs> I'm, uh, you know me and picking words apart, it's not how do you approach an astrology critic. It's what do you do when one approaches you when they're unwanted. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a, it, because because anyone who has been an astrologer or even who reads their horoscopes who's not considering becoming a professional, but just knows the value of astrology. Everyone who's been in that camp has been made fun of at some point in time by someone they thought they really liked. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been told by a family member that I'm an embarrassment. Yeah. Like, well, Whoa. Wow. And so I joined the club. Is this, is this a good time to share the response we just recently got? Yes. From Apple? Yes. Okay. So we are in the process of developing a new app and it's going to connect you, the audience, our community with astrologers to have readings either on demand and or you can book readings for the future. So we've been working really hard on this behind the scenes and we got to the point where we were ready to submit our app to the Apple developer 
store, you know, like to the actual program itself to get approved for Apple devices. And we received this notice from them now twice. You won't believe this. I mean, okay. So regarding guideline 4.3, your app still primarily features astrology, horoscopes, palm reading, fortune telling, or zodiac reports. Okay. Now I'm going to read you what guideline 4.3 says. The app store has enough fart, burp, flashlight, fortune telling, dating, drinking games, and Kama Sutra apps, etc. We will reject these apps unless they provide a unique, high quality experience. Spamming the store may lead to your removal from the Apple developer program. So we re have received this rejection from them now twice simply because it's an astrology app and it is a very unique astrology. Nobody else, as far as I know, is using the apps to actually connect people for readings. So it is, is unique, but they're lumping us in with all of those other categories of apps that they consider spam. So I just, it's to me, it was this another moment of, wow, like astrology, as much as we think it's becoming normalized, is still on the fringe. I, I, I see, I see uh, um, a, a chapter of a book um, uh, about your history. And the title of this chapter is The Astrology Hub and Other Fart Jokes. <laughs> Great. Can you help me write that chapter? I think that's really good. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, unfortunately... Uh, you said this might surprise some of you. It doesn't surprise me at all, at all, at all. I mean, I there are people who I really respect, um, who, who I like, or I like listening. Stephen Colbert comes to mind. I hate to pick on you, Stephen. But, you know, there's a smart guy. Um, you know, he's lived his childhood um, doing Dungeons and Dragons, and he's probably read Lord of the Rings more times you know, than, than Tolkien himself. Um, and yet every chance he gets to do some sort of slight about, well, it could get worse. It could be astrology or, you know, you know, or something like that. Um, he, I, he's had, uh, his friend, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson on several times and they can't get through a whole session without taking a couple of hits, you know, at, at, at astrology. Uh, John Oliver a while back did a whole thing, you know, on on the stupidity of astrology. Um, and most recently, um, uh, two things came up, which is really what prompted me to want to talk about this. Um, I came across a site um, uh, called Professor Dave Explains on YouTube. Uh, you can Google it. You can go to YouTube and Professor Dave Explains. Um and I actually was very, was was quite impressed, impressed enough with one, and I had only seen one of his um, uh, episodes ever, and it was basically him responding publicly to people respond to a group of people responding to him publicly about his uh, denial of flat Earth. And I thought his thing was pretty good. I mean, it was, uh, there were other things that I thought that he was missing. And I actually wrote him or I did a post on, on that page that basically said, 
when I am confronted with flat earth people, um, here's a list of 17 questions I, um, I give to them in writing and say, when you can answer any three or four of them minimum, then I'll talk to you. But until then, no thanks. Um, but then I <laughs> went back to his site and I looked at something else and I came across uh, another posting of his called Quantum Mysticism is Stupid. Deepak Chopra, Spirit Science, Actualize.org, etc. This just in, quantum physics tells us that consciousness creates reality, blah, 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 blah. And and it was, um, you know, 25 minutes of him just making fun of something he really didn't know about. And, of course, then that led me to his um, astrology fact or fiction. Um, and uh, And it's basically 28 minutes of him. Well, by the end of it, his conclusion was, so there you have it. Look, it's black and white. If you believe in astrology, you're stupid. Mm. End of story. Right. And that was it. And I went through my, do I jump in and try to set this guy right? Do I just, you know, you know, uh, hire someone to beat him up? I, that's, I'm kidding. I would never do that. Um, you know, or do I just let it go? And, um, and and I may have mentioned this to you once before, Amanda, maybe when we did the episode on how astrology is the one thing that that fundamental religions, um, including Catholicism and scientists can agree on. And they both they agree on the fact that astrology is a blight, is a wart, exercise it, exorcise it, not exercise it like your dog. Um, but cut it off, get rid of it. Um, and I think in that session, I might have told the story that I was very sad when Carl Sagan, the guy, the astronomer who did um, um, the original Cosmos, uh, when he passed away, because one of my early adulthood goals in life was to be on a, uh, an hour live debate on a national network back when there were only three national, four, three or four national networks, that if something was on TV, everyone watched it because there was no, well, you know, we live in a different world now. But, but I wanted to have an hour publicly debating astrology with Carl Sagan because I felt that Carl Sagan, although he in Cosmos also, I wouldn't say he makes fun of astrology, but certainly dismisses it as a, you know, something not to pay attention to. Um, although he was maybe the only well-known scientist in 1986 when 186 well-known scientists and Nobel laureates uh, signed a document that was taken out as a full-page ad in Science Magazine, um, basically warning the public against the charlatans who practice um, astrology. And Carl Sagan refused to sign it, um, and I respect him for that. And he refused to sign it because he said, I haven't studied it enough to really, you know, to be an expert in it. Um, which leads me to um, the when a scientist tells me that astrology is, you know, is bullshit, 
um, immediately I, uh, and this is not a, this session today is not about quick retorts and responses, although I have a number of them. Um, but I'm always reminded of, and will sometimes mention that Nobel laureate Richard Feynman, Nobel laureate in physics, um, said that when it comes to non-scientific matters, scientists are just as stupid as the next guy. Mm. Mm. Well, you would be my number one pick, Rick, if we ever did have an opportunity to debate uh, Neil, 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 Neil. Yeah, you know, but unfortunately, um, I, 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 there's that famous line of um, someone saying to I was one of the, in one of the presidential things was, and you are no John Kennedy. I, um, there was a, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse um, uh, is, is Tyson is, um, is no Carl Sagan. Um, I mean, Carl had his f faults. I didn't know him personally. Um, but the problem is that when you approach something from a perspective that you already know, um, then everything validates what you already know. And, um, and this poor guy, Professor Dave, um, just picks the he, he picks things to to prove that astrology is not valid, um, and he picks things that are misinterpretations or or things that are just not part of astrology. And here, and of course, we get to astrology's largest problem, and that's a PR problem. Um, I, I always think of this story, which I might have also told in that session, but a young um, a young man a teenager probably um kind of radical in trouble kid um goes in for confession and he sits down and he says to the priest before we start i just want to make sure you know i don't even believe in god and the priest says without even blinking an eye he goes oh that's okay i don't believe in god either and now the kid's kind of like what you're a priest what do you mean you don't believe in god and the priest says I don't believe in the God you don't believe in. And it turns out when someone says, well, I don't believe in astrology. I go, yeah, neither do I. You know, whatever it is that you think astrology is that you're not believing in, count me out. I don't believe in that either. So that's often a good starting point that simply disarms someone. But I think the deeper question here is, do we need to, or is it our job, is it our responsibility um, to defend astrology or to take on someone who is needling us? Or, I mean, critics are bad enough, but, but we also run into people who just ridicule, you know, just absolutely, you know, make you into a laughing stop, tell it stock, telling, you know, uh, jokes about the stupidity um, you know, of uh, astrology or or horoscopes, because that's really many people only know of horoscopes. And of course, if I'm involved in that situation, sometimes people wish they didn't start it because I am one of those unusual astrologers, you know, who spent 20 years writing daily horoscopes for the public. And I'm also uh, pretty well trained technically. Um, and so I know the difference and I know the use of, of each, and I know the limitations of daily horoscopes, that they are not to be confused with, quote-unquote, horoscopic or real astrology. 
Um, but but it's a deeper question than what do I what do I say? The deeper question is, do I say anything? Are you there? And yeah, that is the question. I I mean, I think probably most people in the audience, and and I would agree with this too, is that most of the time, no, unless there is a true curiosity and someone really is asking sincerely. But otherwise, it's like they're not going to hear you. There's no point in trying to convince. It's a big waste of energy. But well, family yeah. gatherings is maybe the oh, worst right. place. For, <laughs> for you know what it was amazing, Rick, at, at the last family gathering. I mean, this has been a slow process now of about ten years with my family. But I actually got to tell them the astronomical origins of Christmas. We all went around. We we all went around and shared some things about Christmas, mm -hmm. and, and they listened so intently it was amazing and we also got to sing your song the deck the hall song <laughs> again which, but we changed it a little bit so every zodiac sign is included and all that good stuff but i mean so i've i've noticed a softening over time and for people who don't know one year in a fit of craziness um <laughs> i sat down with about i don't know maybe eight or ten of the best known christmas carols and i rewrote the words Yes. Astrologically. It's, it's so much fun. De yeah. Deck the charts with trines and sextiles or oh Mercury, oh retrograde of Mercury, you know, yes. instead of call, a little town of Bethlehem. Also, uh call the Leo call the Leos, make a party, follow yeah, So we did that one. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I've noticed a softening over time and I, I really haven't pushed it. I really just wait until they ask me and it's in, invited. But I mean I think for the most part, if there's there is a little opening and you have solid information, it it's it's fun to share. And a lot of times, people will be like, "Oh yeah, I'm actually really curious about. It. I, I'm I am interested in it." So I I have an older brother, uh, three years older, a younger sister, three years younger, and in all the time that I've ever spent with them as an adult, they've neither of them have ever asked me to look at their chart. Whoa! And I never have volunteered. They are so missing out. The well, you know, they don't they don't know. Um, but it's not. It's Do they not. Know you have like a three-year waiting list. It doesn't. It, w whatever. <laughs> it. It. I mean, it's. I. I find it more humorous. Not humorous isn't quite the right word. There's something ironically lovely. You know, that's just. So, I mean, it's just perfect. Mm -hmm. But you talk about, um, you know, not being seen. Now, um, I, my brother is, um, is, is a scientist, is a, um, an, um, an, a, a geologist, um, and he's come around a long way. He, and he, he doesn't quite, you know, throw it away as quickly as he once did. Um, but, um, but we've never really had that, the, the discussion, um, I, I would love to have it, but I'll only have that discussion these days if invited, although I'm thinking about doing a, um, 10 or 15 minute YouTube that is, um, to professor Dave and raking him over the coals, um, uh, and maybe even, um, you see, the pro my problem is that when I get into something like this, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a four planet and Aries guy, and I pretty much control my my anger, my combativeness, my contentiousness um, enough 
uh, you know, I have a soft, gentle Cancer moon and, and a clever Gemini rising. But when I get pissed, I go over the edge. I'm not, I'm not a pretty picture, um, which is why I don't do it often. Um, and I've been in some verbal battles and or um, email battles where I begin to say things that I really shouldn't. Mm. Um, like I would probably start my thing with Professor Dave um, talking about how um, his accusing astrologers of being stupid is a simple act of projection. And let's start there. <laughs> Boom. Um, you know, but, 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 the, but you see, I've been here before. Nothing good will ever come of it. Right. Um, and, uh, and he'll end up making fun of me um, and a lightning bolt on my shirt or my um, middle name Merlin or something forever. And I won't have the time, effort, energy, or uh, reach in order to respond to him every time he says something. So yeah. what do you do? Right. So in general, when you have a critic or someone who is, you know, what do you say? Also someone who's ridiculing you, you, you've said that one of the places that you start is, yeah, I don't believe in astrology either. At least not I don't believe in the astrology that you don't believe in. Right. Either. I don't believe in the astrology that you don't believe in either. Yeah. So what are some other things? What are some other go-to things that you do say when you're, when you feel like the time is right? Well, there's so many anecdotes and so many stories. I, my, my overall go-to line, and I've been down this road on chat um, in, 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 in chats um, on um, email lists, you know, before YouTube, uh, before um, uh, Facebook, when there were just people discussing things. I've been so down this list or so down this uh, rabbit hole. And, um, and I think overall, the thing that I come back to again and again um, is that uh, you can't call yourself a scientist unless you've done the research about that, which you're investigating. In other words, you don't start off um, uh, without knowing anything. If you're doing research you know, and thinking that the speed of light has been measured wrong and you have a correction to it. As a scientist, it's upon you to do the research and to read the material that other scientists have written about the speed of light and to read the Mickelson-Morley experiments that determine that the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second or whatever and so on and so on. And if you don't do that, you're not a good scientist. That's where you start. And so my go-to line often is I understand that, you know, that you think that this is a, a, a lot of bullshit. But the fact of the matter is that there is a whole universe of published research material and research uh, description material um, that unless you read, uh, you do not have the right to criticize it as a scientist because you're speaking about something of which you know nothing. And I often use John Anthony West's book, The Case for Astrology, as a book. Don't talk to me until you've read this book. Once you've read this book, I could go through specific arguments. There's probably 30 or 40 different you know, tacks I could take. Read this book, then come back and talk to me 
because if you have problems with some of those arguments, then we have something to discuss. But until you know what's been done, don't come to me just showing your ignorance because you're ignorant. And being ignorant is different than being stupid. Being stupid is something that you can't maybe, but you can't cure. Being ignorant is easy to cure. You read the material. You learn what you don't know. There's nothing, there's no shame in ignorance. The shame is in being ignorant and not admitting it or not wanting to do anything about it. And so I would suggest John Anthony West's book. When people say, well, scientific experimentation and validation, um, I would uh, bring up Michel Gogolan. Um, and Michel Gogolan uh, was a French statistician um, who, for a degree at the Sorbonne, a statistics degree, um, basically kind of half set out to disprove astrology, but he wasn't really, he was, he was more interested than a, an absolute critic. Um, but in France, by national law, they record the time of every birth since the French Revolution. And he had, I think, somewhere around 35,000 birth data. And this was before computers. They calculated these charts by hand. And originally, his thesis was, um, or, um, his, his hypothesis was, there is a correlation between sun sign and profession. And he found there wasn't. <laughs> but as he began to dig a little deeper, he discovered something that was significant enough that it's now called the Mars effect. And the Mars effect is this. If you take the charts of people who have excelled, not just anyone who's in that career, but people who have excelled at sports, at any form of athletics or military, that they will tend statistically at a statistically significant rate to have Mars conjuncting their ascendant or midheaven or descendant or IC. Um, in other words, they, they tend to have Mars on the cardinal points. Now, this is done not only for Mars and athletes and soldiers, although that's the great, that was the first one and there was such a hit there, I mean hit statistical re relevance, is that Gokulan spent the next 20, 30 years of his life um, doing more, doing deeper digging on this and coming up with various keywords for the planets and discovering that politicians tended to have the moon there or actors, uh, Jupiter or, or whatever. I mean, it's a whole, <clears throat> a whole list of things. But this work, which was um, so astounding, was picked up on by a group of scientists, um, largely led by an astronomer at Harvard named George Bach, B-O-K. And it was from that experimentation from Gokulin's published work that they established a group under the auspices or in coordination with the magician James Randi. <laughs> and this group was called PSYCOPS or the Committee for the Investigation of the Paranormal. Um, I might have missed a word there. And they set out um, originally to disprove or to marginalize Gokulin's work. And they did, and they published a paper. Unfortunately, one of the key astronomers um, in that group quit because 
um, they he basically quit because they were falsifying data. They were selecting data to prove what they already knew so that they could make fun of and marginalize Gokulin's work in astrology. However, if a scientist says there's no statistical validation to any of this, they haven't read Gokulin. They, they haven't read um, maybe six or seven of his books and probably at least three or four that I can think of books written 20 years later about his research. Mm-hmm. So it, again, it, 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 but, but it, it doesn't matter because it's not going to change that person's mind, but at least having a couple of books in your mind that you know about that you can, that you can throw out at least uh, uh, evens the score a, a bit. Agreed. Can you please spell the name? Gokulan, G-A-U-Q-U-E, there's a G in there, G, ah, Gokulan, G-A-U-Q-U-E-L-I-N. I'm going to Google it as we're talking okay. here, so I have it, have it right. It's easy. You know, sometimes the, the, the defense, or at least the uh, standing up for astrology is, is more for us than it, e- it even is to convince the other person. It's, sometimes I feel like it's, you know, standing up for someone that I love and, and defending them, it feels the same with astrology. It's like, I don't want to just stand by as it gets bashed yeah. and it's unfairly bashed. And so I'd like to at least have a few things that I can say to uh, defend our beloved astrology is how I think about G- it sometimes. G-A-U-Q-U-E-L-I-N, Michelle Gokulin, Gokulin. Um, <clears throat> French psychologist and writer, um, who attempted, now this is out of Wikipedia, but notice the slant here already, yeah. who attempted to put astrology on a scientific basis through his special studies of correlation between personality and cosmic influences. Well, uh, Wikipedia calls astrology a pseudoscience, like in the first sentence, right? Well, that's right. As do, as really does this guy, uh, Professor Dave explains um, he says astrology is a pseudoscience. Um, he looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> He's probably well, just quoting maybe, it. Maybe, but there is there is a real issue here that makes it so that a learned person would still question whether astrology is scientific or not. The real question is: it valid or not? Right. Is it useful or not? But in order for something to be scientific in the modern use of the word scientific, it means it needs to be experimentally, um, uh, it needs to be, there's two things. It needs to be um, um, uh, not verifiable, but there's a word. Duplicatable. Yeah, yeah, duplicatable. But it also needs to be able to be um, the flip side of that. Um, I'll, I'll think of the word as we're talking. Someone's it's not going to have the answer in the chat. Yeah, it, it, um, it, there's there's the negative to that where um, there can't be any exceptions. But the fact is that science is built upon. This is the philosophy of David Hume. Um, the science is built upon the idea of making a hypothesis and then testing it, and then testing it again, and testing it again, and that if a result is valid, it has to be repeatable that the repeatability factor is required. The problem is that in astrology, there is no other Amanda Pua Walsh. Mm -hmm. You are not repeatable. 
There right. is no other Rick Merlin Levine. I am not repeatable. The moments in the heavens are not repeatable. We can take out one specific thing, like the motion of Saturn, and we can do tests statistically on the validity of that. And we have, and we know that there's, you know, validity to um, cycles of the moon, the new moon versus the full moon. We know, um, you know, that that half the human population bleeds according to the lunar cycle. So you can't tell me that there's no connection between the cosmos and what's here on Earth. That's just stupidity. That's just denial. The real question, though, is how do you put it all together? And, of course, most scientists will dismiss it because, well, there's no way it could possibly work. It reminds me of um, of Anton Lavoisier. <laughs> how many people open a sentence saying, it reminds me of Lavoisier, <laughs> um, who in the 18th century, prior to the French Revolution where he was killed, um, was um, made the first president of the French Academy of Science. And one of his first duties was to deal with what was then a big concern of scientists because people were reporting that rocks were falling from the sky. We would call them meteors. Mm. And his one of his first official duties was to unequivocally announce there are no such thing as rocks falling from the sky because there are no rocks in the sky to fall. Mm. Now, this is not necessarily a scientific approach to a problem. It's what we might call uh, a syllogism or what is circular reasoning. Um, <clears throat> many, many scientists do not believe in astrology because they know it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, or that, or more importantly, they know that it's unscientific, and that whole thing is incredibly interesting because often they're making their judgment on the fact that how can you possibly take humanity and divide it up into twelve classifications and everybody be one of those, or those idiot astrologers um, don't even know that there's thirteen signs. Um, 13 constellations in the Zodiac, not 12, or they don't even know that the constellations have changed, you know, and if you're a Gemini, you're not really a Gemini, you're, you're a Taurus, it's just astrologers are stupid. And what they don't realize, again, is that when they say each of those things, they're showing their stupidity. No, they're showing their ignorance, because they may be very intelligent, but they know nothing about what they're talking they know nothing about which they are talking about. There's an extra word there. I don't know. Right. Well, and we um, did we did a podcast episode on that thirteenth sign thing. So you can I, I don't know the number. Um, maybe we can put that in the chat. But we definitely did an episode covering that because that comes up a lot. Well, yeah. and then you know, and of course, the simple thing to explain to a, an astronomer, um, the very simplest thing is that if you think that modern astrology is based upon the constellations, then your whole understanding of astrology is wrong because it's actually based upon a dividing a circle into 12 in order to classify or work with that uh, dynamic energy. Um, and there can't possibly be a 13th sign because the system is built upon the idea of dividing a circle into 12 parts. The, the constellations were not there first. <laughs> you know, the stars were, 
But when it comes to Taurus and, and um, Ophiuchus and whatever other, we make all that stuff up in our heads. Right. You know, in fact, there aren't 12 signs up there. There's 12 signs in here. And then we mm-hmm. project it outward. And so, you know, the, their claims are, are just typically based upon, upon lack of knowledge. Mm. So Rebecca has a question. I don't know if you want to go down this path, but the question is, Rick, what would your response be to an Eastern astrologer who names Western astrology as gaslighting? I'm not sure I understand how it would be gaslighting. I understand that they are different. Um, and maybe that person could, could, uh, say what they mean by how it is gaslighting. Well, and we've talked about this several times on the podcast too, about uh, Eastern, uh, I've encountered, I don't know about all of you, but the sort of opinion that Eastern astrology is the right one and Western astrology is like the newer, but less valid uh, form of astrology. Well, Einstein bails us out there. Because Einstein very clearly explains, is part of his uh, Nobel Prize, um, Einstein very clearly explains that there are no stable points in the universe. Everything is moving. Therefore, you need to pick a point of reference. Um, And and, uh, Eastern astrology, sometimes referred to as Vedic astrology, because it comes from uh, the oral religious or spiritual traditions of India, the Vedas, Sometimes it's um, referred to as Jyotish, which is the correct name for it in, um, I don't know what dialect, it might be Sanskrit, but one of the Indian languages is Jyotish. Regardless of what you call it, that is based upon the fixed reference frame of the stars. So that is a constellational um, astrology. Even that has a little bit of a problem. I'll cycle back in just a moment, just a quick sentence. But um, but what the astrology that we moderners practice is actually based upon the seasons. It's seasonal astrology. The word tropical astrology is what we would use, um, and the other astrology sidereal or of the stars. They're just two different mapping techniques that say, this is my fixed point. The problem is that if you pick the stars to be the fixed point, and you say that Aries is the first sign of the Zodiac, that every 72 years, the spring equinox slips one degree further back because of the wobble of the earth into Pisces and then eventually into um, Aquarius and eventually all the way around over a period of about 26,000 years. And so the uh, the the sidereal astrology um astrologers have disconnected themselves from the seasons modern tropical or western uh, or seasonal astrologers basically tie the map to the four fixed points in our cycle around the sun having to do with the tilt of the earth and the points at which the earth is pointing most away or most toward the North Pole, that would be the winter and summer solstices. And then the point at which there's equal daylight on both, um, you know, all over the planet, equal uh, uh, dark and equal light. 
and that is at the equinoxes, the equal nights. Those four points are the the anchor of modern astrology. Um, and both astrologies have use and have validity, but you can't do them both at the same time any more than a physicist can make a subatomic thing, a particle and a wave at the same time. Light travels like a wave when you measure it for a moment, it becomes a particle. By the same token, the difference between Eastern and Western astrology, um, you can't have, you can't hold both positions at the same moment. They both have validity in their own sphere. Now, I'm not sure if that answered the question or what that has to do with ghosting. Well, <laughs> well, Rebecca basically confirmed that she was basically putting down Western as invalid. So, what you're saying is they both have validity. They're both using a different point of of reference from which to map everything, but, yeah. and you can't use both at the same time, but that each one has their use. Uh, ab absolutely. And the ancients knew about this slippage. They were very aware of it. Um, <clears throat> and so for NASA to come out and saying astrologers are idiots because they don't even have the right sign. Um, they're basically saying that they were the ignorant ones because they didn't realize that astrologers have known about this backward movement, this precession of the equinox, meaning that the equinox moves backwards 172nd of a degree every year, too little to notice in one's lifetime, but enough to notice over generations or even over um, millennia. Um, and so they don't know that astrologers not only knew it, but invented or discovered it, knew it way before others did. And here's another piece that's a problem in all this. And that is that modern scientists will take a look at like Johannes Kepler, who's called the father of modern astronomy and say, well, he only did astrology because he got paid for it. He made money doing it and he didn't really believe in it. He just did it because that's the way he got money from Emperor Rudolph. When the fact of the matter is that his astronomical discoveries and his optical discoveries and his other, I mean, he's a brilliant scientist and mathematician, that they were an offshoot of the thing that drove him, which was the mathematics of how astrology um, kind of conformed to human behavior. And it was actually Johannes Kepler who was the first person to hypothesize that the star of Bethlehem could have been a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. Why was he the first person to hypothesize that? because of his discovery of the laws of planetary motion, he was the first person to be able to use those mathematical formulas and go back 2000 years or at his time, 1500 years and, and calculate where those planets were. The, the problem though um, is uh, <laughs> many problems. The problem though um, is that scientists in general have a very different view of what astrology is compared to the knowledge that the, the knowledge that drives it that many brilliant scientists have had throughout time. Um, they they forget that you know I've said this many times that you know Hippocrates, um, which who is known because any practicing doctor uh, takes the Hippocratic oath. And the Hippocratic Oath is actually one part of a longer document that says no person shall practice medicine without knowledge of the stars. 
<laughs> but that's been, oh, that was just an ancient superstition. Let's just kind of, you know, drop that away. Um, and so this is all getting a little bit off track, though, because what we're really coming, want to come back to is this idea that we as astrologers have to live in a world that even though when I'm hanging out with you and there's, you know, 10 or 20 or 30,000 people, 50,000 on, you know, my, my monthly YouTube feed, when there's that amount of people feeding back to you, consistency with your perspective, you forget that it's still a fringe perspective and that Apple thinks it's like equatable to farts and burps and that Square, who many people use for credit card acquisition, uh, if in your application you tell them you're an astrologer, you will not get, you will be denied. Wow. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't hundreds of astrologers using Square, it just means that, like Chani, um, you, you don't you, you don't throw it in their face so that they can say go away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in fact, um, that's one of the reasons why the largest astrological educational organization in the world, which is NCGR, nonprofit organization, called the National Council, NCGR, the National Council for Geocosmic Research. Where's the word astrology? Rick, I'm like, I, I think I'm too proud or something. I, I can't go there. Like, it feels like like denying the thing. I, I can't explain it, but it, it's so we could totally mask our thing, our, our app, not use the word astrology, not use the word astrologer, really just give them exactly what they want. But I can't do it. I can't do it. It just feels so wrong. And, and I want to thank this whole audience and all this community. So many people have chatted in some great ideas for how we can work around it or just, you know, screw Apple. You don't need them anyways. We will be doing this no matter what. It's just how what avenue are we going to use? But the avenue of, of just cloaking the whole thing and like eliminating astrology from our language completely just feels so off. It just, it, it feels really out of integrity, at least for astrology hub. I mean, come on. That's like, what, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I've been, I, I, I've been a self, uh, defined astrologer, um, for close to 50 years, maybe mm-hmm. more. How frightening mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have to say that in that amount of time, at least in the last 35 or 40 years, it's made it, it's a huge, hugely different scene. And a lot of that is because you can't easily restrain people from learning on the internet. And the internet has, I mean, there's lots of reasons why things are different. Um, but the internet has taken this, this um, e- e- curve and it's turned it into almost a straight line up. And, you know, and um, there was an astrologer who passed away a few years ago um, who was an absolute delight. She did the um, Saturday night uh, keynote lecture at Norwalk for probably 10 years in a row. And every time she did it, 
people would be laughing so hard they would be on the floor people would have to be excused you know to go to the bathroom it was like it was like this woman was 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 absolutely brilliant in her storytelling Uh, her name was diana stone uh, and diana stone um uh was just 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 a gem and she said one of her lectures i remember she says why are we trying to convince them that we're right she goes i used to think that we had to do everything that we can to continue to you know um you know to to uh convince others that we are right it's like we want to be in the mainstream and then Mm -hmm. she said why the mainstream is polluted (laughs) she goes here's she goes here's an alternate way of dealing with this Imagine that you're in an old um, Cowboys and Indian. I know this may be politically incorrect these days, but I'm going to go with it anyhow. Imagine you're in an old Western movie and you're, you're in the, you're, you're a native American and you're at the top of a cliff with your, with your tribe, with your band. And the cavalry is kind of going through this kind of Canyon rather than confronting the cavalry, the mainstream, let's just pick off the last person <laughs> quietly, one at a time, mm. until the only person going through the, the canyon is the general with no one behind him. Mm. It's a great metaphor. It is. Every person that you interact with on a one-to-one basis is your chance to pick off one person off the back of that route off the oh, back of that train. Yeah. And, and, and in some ways that may be way more effective. Now there are other, I mean, like any real war, um, there's many ways to do battle. Um, I totally um, respect um, Rick Tarnas, not only for his, his uh, encyclopedic um, books, Passion of the Western Mind, and Cosmos and Psyche, but his working with Kenny Osabel and producing this 10 part um, documentary on, in particular, the Uranus Pluto conjunction square opposition cycle. Um, and I think that it has the potential for really altering people's perceptions about what astrology is. Not the astrology that we do on a day to day basis, because it has nothing to do with. You know, I'm I'm a vegetarian, and you're a, you're in crises or whatever. Um, but but it, it's but it's a different look. It's a different level, but it's still astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I have um, seen all ten episodes, and it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait for it to become. Uh, it's being released, as I know you know, on February twenty second. Um, and you'll have more to say about that. I know over the weeks ahead to. Um, astrology hubbers, but yeah. it's things like that that are in fact making a difference. Um, the work of Michelle Gokalan, um, even though um, it created a lot of um, uh, anti uh, resistance um, in the scientific community, it also created a lot of interest. Um, I, I have uh, an associate uh, who got his. Uh, masters in statistics doing statistical analysis in astrology. Now he, the fact that he's an astrologer is secondary. He's a 
an academic statistician. He teaches at a, at a college level, but he used astrology as part of his, you know, not as part of, but as the data for his thesis. Hmm. So we're seeing more and more of that. When you go to astrology conferences these days, you, me, whoever goes, um, when I, uh, my first astrology conference I went to was in 1975. And it was basically, you know, a bunch of uh, fellow hippies um, and, you know, people kind of drifting around mostly in purple robes and, um, you know, with, with crystals taped to their heads. And I'm not making fun of any of this. I'm just saying that was, that was astrology. Now, when you go to an astrology conference, you see people with PhDs after their names. You know, you see pe- people with PhDs in psychology, um, in economics, in, in history, um, and you see a, a whole different tenor of the level of um, excellence when it comes to research. Um, in fact, ESAR, the other large organization, which is the International Society for Astrological Research, um, has a quarterly research journal. Um, as does the organization um, in in uh, Britain, the AA, the Astrology Association. Um, uh, so we've made huge progress. The problem is that unless you know about it, you don't know about it. And astrology becomes one of those many things that people don't know about because they've been fed such a strong party line Um like we moderners are on many other things. We're not going down that rabbit hole, but when you're fed such a strong line that this is the truth, look, the bottom line is this science is built upon research and exploration. It's not built upon. This is the truth. Don't contradict my results. That's, that's the opposites. That's the total opposite of science. Um, that science is not built upon suppression. Science is built upon exploration and experimentation. And it's built upon the dialogue and the sharing of that data, not the shutting it off and, 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 and making it go away. So when people say, trust the science, and I'm not here talking about COVID in particular, I'm talking about science. When someone says, don't believe that. Trust the science. That's always frightening because what they're meaning is don't question outside of what we think we already know. Mm, wow. Enough said there. Thank you for that. Yeah, that that's it's very true. And I think sometimes we forget with in astrology that we are we are still in the same category of of not of misinformation, you know, so to speak. Like we're we're still we're not in the accepted narrative and we're still outside of that. And so go ahead. So 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. A little bit more than that. Um, I attended a meeting with a dozen astrologers. Uh, Lauren Albandian was there. Jeff Green was there. A few other people were there. Michael Moncasey, some pretty uh, well-known astrologers. And we were brought together to consider if there could be a uh, astrology college in the United States. Mm. And at that meeting, um, we kind of agreed that it would take effort to make something happen because of the environment. And 
I said, well, if we do this, the name is going to be really important um, because um, we've been kicked out of academia. I mean, I say we, astrology has largely, um, beginning with the age of reason, which I love Rob Hand calls, uh, instead of the age of enlightenment, he calls it the age of endarkenment. Um, but, um, But from that period on, astrology, which had been a part of the university picture, had been shunted further and further outside. And I said, we need to give this uh, this uh, college uh, a name that's like a Trojan horse. And I said, for example, we could take Johannes Kepler, who is believed to be the father of astronomy, of modern astronomy. And yet, because we also know that he contributed more to astrology um, in his lifetime than most, almost anyone within a three or 400 year period around his, his life. Um, his contributions are deep and wide into astrology, including the introduction of quintiles, which you know is a part of my work, and half squares and semi-squares and sesquisquares and so on. I said, we could name this the Kepler College of Astrological Arts and Sciences, and then what, what does the scientific community do? Because it's truth that Kepler was first and foremost an astrologer. Uh, although I should um, say that in his book, Tertium Inter Venice, which is translated as third person between, it's like third man in the middle, and he's describing himself kind of standing between the old beliefs and the new science that's unfolding. And he said that when scientists, this is not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. He said, when scientists um, look back at the superstitions and blasphemies that are contained within the body of astrology, that I caution them or caution us um, against throwing out the baby with the bathwater. That's where that saying comes from. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's a Keplerism cautioning scientists not to throw astrology out with all the other things they would like to say are just ignorant superstitions from, uh, from, from, the, from the past. Um, and so it's, I think we're at a very significant point in history where we have the ability to regain um, uh, that um, peer acceptance. However, my concern is, and it has been for 30 years, that, that some group of engineers at Caltech or MIT are going to discover these ultra, ultra long waves that are not gravity waves, but they seem to be somehow related to the planets and that through complex Fourier analysis and so on, that we're now beginning to discover how these waves create personality. Uh, but this has nothing to do with astrology. <laughs> I mean, as you're describing that, though, wouldn't that be kind of cool on some level? Because we would know that that's actually... They're but again, the way we, we would know... But once again, we would be disfranchised and it would be illegal to use the word astrology when describing <laughs> that phenomena. Right, you know, right. a, a lot of the similar stuff has happened in or is still happening um, within the world um, of, of what we now call alternate alternative medicine, right. which, remember, wasn't alternative until the 20th century. 
Right. When John D. Rockefeller, who was making a fortune out of petroleum, realized that the manufacturing of um, of medicines um, which used petroleum um, was a huge field of interest. And it was his money, his advertising that basically took things like homeopathy and the old, more traditional, nat- what we now call a naturopathy and basically made them illegal. You know, you couldn't use those things because the American Medical Association had the single definition of what was medical, what was what was valid. And of course, now we've seen um, again that that through universities, colleges, Bastyr University here in Seattle is an example that that this is a naturopathic college that's winning, um, you know, um, grants from NIH against the big Eastern medical schools. And yet, even though they're playing in that field and it's gained, you know, um, more modern doctors these days will acknowledge that it may be good to take echinacea or vitamin C or glucosamine or whatever, that, (laughs) that it's still out there. You know, you're still, if you're in trouble, go to the doctor. Don't go to your naturopath. They don't, they're, you know, they're, they, they can't heal real things. They're only there to, you know, kind of make you feel a little bit better. And I think that there is a similarity is where I'm going with this between astrology and <clears throat> let's say naturopathy, including Vedic, Ayurvedic medicine, including homeopathy, including herbalism, including all these other mind, uh, body uh, uh, healing mechanisms. And and yet I think that it's important that we don't go back to sleep. And it's not, we're not there. We have not, we have not won the battle. Or let me say this way, we've won some significant battles, but we haven't won the war. So, Rick, after all of this, are you going to respond to Professor Dave? I'm so curious to know if you're going to do it. Probably. <laughs> Make sure that you let us know and you give us the link so that we can check it out and cheer you on. Um, if anything, it would be fun for us to watch. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm grateful that all of you are here, that we have these communities, these astrology communities where we can speak the language together. We don't need all of them. We can just have our conversation here when when they want to start coming in. And of course, the door is always open. Um, but it's really interesting to see that we're we're. I I was thinking we were that astrology was becoming much more normalized, and I think it it has, especially it, it, for someone it, like it, you it, who've been watching it for fifty years. You're like, yes, it has. No, and but it had, but it has even in the wider public. Um, again, one of the most, imp- but, but before I say what I'm going to say, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, Adrian, who is um, posted Quantum Love Coach. Hi, Rick and Amanda, and blessings from Ubud and Bali, where I wish I was right now. Um, and I met uh, um, Adrian in Bali a couple of years ago. So just a wave out to Ubud. Um, the um, where were we? I got sidetracked. Oh, just in terms of normalization, and you've been doing this for fifty years. Fifty years, and it has become more normal. Is that? Yeah. So, so it it has become more normal, uh, and it is certainly way more normalized in the younger, in in the maybe youngest or younger generations right. of mm-hmm. which I like to think myself a part of. Um, but, but there is a tremendous book that actually was written by a professor at Harvard college 
one of Rick Tarnas's important influences and one of Rick's teachers when Rick was studying classics at Harvard in the late 60s, early 70s. And this guy um, um, wrote a book. Uh, his name is Thomas Kuhn, uh, K-U-E-N, I believe it is. Um, and as we're talking, I'm doing a um, quick search here. Um, uh, so um, Thomas Kuhn um, wrote a book called, I want to say, that's, that's popped out of my mind, The Theory of Scientific Revolution. Um, um, say something for a second. <laughs> say something. Uh, well, I just wanted to point you all back to the other books that Rick has recommended today because there's been a lot of great resources that you can turn to, especially this one, Jonathan Anthony West, A Case for Astrology. So pointing people to that as the first place to start is like, if you haven't read that yet, then let's let's wait to have this conversation until you've read that book and then tell me what you think. Or Michelle, Gok or Michelle Gokulin. Right. I mean, there are many other books, too. Those come to mind. By right. the way, I, w I was right. I didn't trust my memory. Uh, but Thomas Kuhn, it's K-U-H-N, um, wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. It's actually now available in its 50th anniversary edition. It's available on Kindle for only 11 bucks and 50 cents. But what Thomas Kuhn wrote about was the idea that we're taught that science is built upon dialogue between people until someone comes to a major breakthrough and then everyone adapts to that major breakthrough, does research on it until there's another breakthrough and so on. Mm -hmm. And what he says, and he uses what we call um, the Copernican revolution as, as the one of the, but as the main idea that feeds this theory and that is that when a scientist comes up with a new idea, it is not accepted. What happens is the old guard eventually dies. Oh, wow. It's a very different, very yeah. different view. Mm. And so like when it comes to the Copernican revolution, for those of you who don't know, it was Copernicus, who was a generation before Kepler, um, who wrote the book, that mathematically and clearly showed that the earth could not be the center of our solar system, that it was in fact the sun. And this of course was considered heresy. Galileo read the book and, and spent a Saturn cycle 30 years under house arrest because, um, because he was not adhering to the church's, um, uh, doctrine that the earth is the center and everything goes around it. Um, and of course it is alleged that when he recanted publicly and was taken off house arrest, that after he recanted under his breath, he said, but it does move. Of course he said it in Latin. Um, but, but it took uh, several generations before people began to realize that the earth was not the center that the sun was the center. It took 500 years for the church to reverse their excommunication of Copernicus, of Galileo. To for, there's a word where they, where they forgive. I don't know, the, but there's a, a word that they, um, that they absolved um, um, Galileo um, of, this, of this horrific crime. 
Um, 500 years. And so the idea that someone comes up with um, something that's useful or valid or real and it then gets accepted is just not how it works. And of course, Rick Tarnas and many of us, um, many, many people understand that we are in the midst of a paradigm change. That word used that way comes from um, the structure of scientific revolutions, Um, but that we are in the midst of a paradigm change um, that is uh, bigger than the one that was uh, changing from the pre-Copernican earth is the center to the post-Copernican the sun is the center. Um, Mm. And so we go through these changes and they do not happen just because someone has good information. They happen because the power holders of the old system die or lose power. Wow. Fascinating. And it's really interesting to think about how much when our concept of reality is threatened, how much we will hold on to something, even if it's obviously it's been, it's evolving and it needs to be upgraded, but we'll hold on so tight because it's too threatening to our version of reality. Discerning, discerning light wrote, the AMA was formed to stamp out homeopathy. And that's exactly correct. It was funded Mm -hmm. by John D. Rockefeller. And there were entire uh, medical colleges that were, I mean, at the turn of the 19th century, um, if you were a medical doctor, it was, it was just as likely, I don't know what the actual percentage was, um, but to be a homeopathic physician was not considered to be something abnormal. It was just, uh, it was part of medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear from all of you. So Rick's given us some great things to either say or not say when you're faced with an astrology critic, when you're feeling ridiculed for your, your exploration of astrology. And I'd also love to hear from all of you. If you have any things that you've said that you find are particularly helpful, or at least they make you feel better, maybe you're, it doesn't uh, accomplish the goal of convincing anyone of anything, which we don't need to do anyways. But anything that we you just need to pick that last person in line off when it yeah <laughs> well and we're doing that I mean that's what that's what we're doing I think we've both experienced growth in our own communities and we've seen like more and more people come into the fold and go oh hey sure. this is interesting they're having interesting conversations here maybe I can hang out and learn something so I think we're doing that already for sure and then again I'd love to hear from all of you in terms of things that you've said that that work that you know, at least open up a dialogue or whether or not you just don't even bother and just save your energy. A quick thing, discerning light again said, does it matter what edition of the Thomas Kuhn book? I Mm -hmm. don't think so. I think they're just different editions. There might be some minor rewrite or the 50th anniversary one sounds cool and it's inexpensive compared to the original copies. So I don't know. I love what Susan says. I actually would really like to contact the people at Apple and let them know what I think about their decision. Susan, I think that'd be a great idea. I, I have a feeling it's some like, I don't even know, some person sitting in their desk at their desk in Silicon Valley, just, you know, things come through and they're like, oh yeah, this is garbage. Hey, look, this whole thing that I went through with Instagram recently, there's a part of me that can't uh, escape the notion that if my site was on um, um, where to find the right pharmacy for your medical prescription, that I would have been back up in a moment. Um, But my site 
you know, I mean, the, the name of the site. And again, if you haven't been there, go there and follow me. The name <laughs> of the site is Rick Levine Astrologer. Yeah. So I can't say, well, but it's not about astrology. And I can't help but believe that that's part of why I've bumped into this just dead wall of silence. Mm. Um, it, it just seems like that's that's a part of the problem for me. I think so. I, I, I think so, too. All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your ideas and your wisdom this was fun. and your humor. It's been super fun. And thanks to all of you for hanging out and being here as part of our uh, Cosmic Connection community. Love and, I, and I hope to see a lot of you in L.A. Yeah. February, February 4th through the 7th. Yes. Check it out. Conscious what, what, Life Expo. Conscious Life Expo. Okay. so ConsciousLifeExpo.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So check Rick out. Go to his Instagram. Let's help him build that back up. And then if you don't receive our Cosmic Insider yet, our weekly newsletter that gives you the summary of the different podcast episodes we've done, plus some insights on the actual astrology of the week, check that out as well. That's totally free. Astrologyhub.com slash insider. We have some exciting things coming up with Rick for the rest of the year. So be, you'll be learning about more about that soon. And I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community and thank you for making astrology a part of your life, even if that makes us a little fringy. I think it's great. I, I like I like being on the fringe with all of you. So thank you for being here. And Rick, thanks as always. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you in a couple weeks for our, uh, not next week, but the week after for our February forecast with Rick here on The Cosmic Connection. Okay, take care. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life. Hi again. It's your weekly horoscope columnist, Christopher Runstrom, back to share with you some pretty exciting news. You will soon have a chance to study with me in my upcoming course, The Cosmic Calendar, produced here at Astrology Hub. The Cosmic Calendar is designed to teach you how to turn your birth chart into a personal calendar, one that's uniquely aligned to your natural flow and personal seasons. You'll be able to look at the year ahead and know exactly how to plan your life. Whether you're looking to launch a business, dive back into the dating pool, or finally get around to writing that book you said you'd get around to writing one day, the Cosmic Calendar will help you to identify the best times of year to pursue your dreams. So if you want to be the first to know more about the Cosmic Calendar, then sign up for the waitlist now at astrologyhub.com slash cosmic waitlist. Again, that's astrologyhub.com slash cosmic waitlist. I am so looking forward to seeing you there.